0: According to His promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. We are going to start accelerating, I think. The last couple of classes we've covered more verses than was normal for chapters 21 and 22 at least, and we'll see kind of watching the end of the year and kind of watching to see how far we can get, if we can wrap up the chapter or not. But that's uh, obviously in the Lord's hands. All right. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time and His truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father we come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the the privilege and blessing that we have. We who name the name of Christ are delighted Father to assemble in His name and to receive instruction Father. I thank you for the privilege we have in the church age where each one of us is permanently indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. and Then we have uh, standing before you Father to receive this instruction. So we come before you with uh, joy and delight. We thank you Father in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so um, let me just pick up. I failed to mark where we left off. We've had a couple of meals we've been looking at. Let me just run the slideshow through. Words of the wise, number six, was verses one through three, where we were talking about uh, the caution you must have if you're sitting down with somebody more powerful than you, the rich and the famous, and you don't belong there, uh, but you've been invited and there you are, and uh, just be careful. Put a knife to your throat if you think uh, you might be in danger of something more serious than that, don't don't covet the uh, the wealth that uh, that God has not chosen to give to you, uh, as, as it says in verse three. Do not desire His delicacies, for it is a deceptive food. And so we don't want to covet the uh, the wealth that we're not entitled to. Then verses four and five was words of the wise number seven. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. And uh, the desire to be rich is a snare, and First Timothy talks about that. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. We moved on to verses 6 through 8, the words of the wise, number 8. Remember, we're, we're counting these down from 1 to 30 is what we're doing. There are 30 sayings of the wise. And that gets us through all the way to, to uh, through most of chapter 24, really, until we get to verse 24, 22. That'll be the 30th one. And then, uh, then there's six more after that to wrap up chapter 24. But words of the wise, number eight, this is a different kind of delicacy. Now instead of uh, eating with a rich guy, you're eating with a stingy guy, somebody that resents you being there. And that presents a different kind of struggle that you've got to have the right perspective to deal with. Words of the wise, number nine. This was verse nine all by itself. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. And we were dealing with this a week ago. Let's see. Normally I get this set up ahead of time. Sorry about that. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool for he will despise the wisdom of your words. And um, God doesn't expect us to speak all the time. There are occasions when we don't speak. There's a time to speak, there's a time to stay silent. Sometimes we answer a fool according to his folly and then sometimes we don't. And uh, we have to have the discernment to know which time is it. Is this the time for speaking or the time for non-speaking? And uh, the principles that apply there. And so uh, I think the most obvious of these is is, uh, Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5 because these are back-to-back verses that say the opposite thing. Verse 4 says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will also be like him. And so don't Don't get caught up in that. And then you know you start arguing with a fool and then bystanders they can't tell the difference. They're looking at the two of you and and you're both foolish in their eyes and and you're involved in that. But then verse 5 says there are going to be occasions when you do want to give that answer back. Answer a fool as his folly deserves. Answer a fool as his folly in accordance with his folly. In other words if he's coming at you like a moron then you respond like a moron. And, and it displays the, the, uh, the folly for what it is. That he not be wise in his own eyes. And this is uh, just a way to let a fool know that he's a fool and you know he's a fool. And if he's not aware of how foolish he is, maybe this is the wake-up call where he s- s- kind of takes the slap to the face and, and the metaphoric a verbal slap to the face and says, wow, that's right. I am a moron. What's going on here? And so there are occasions to do either way. Uh, Solomon clearly, I think, adapted this from David in Psalm 39 verses 1 and 2. Uh, Being able to put a muzzle on your mouth and just close your mouth and not respond, especially when you are in the presence of enemies and um, when the wicked are in my presence. Sometimes you have to know. Know your audience, know what's going on, and uh, sometimes just put that muzzle on your mouth and uh, you're better off for it. And then of course Jesus had his message about pearls before swine. And do not give what is holy to dogs, do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So be, just be advised, we're not obligated to give an answer to every critic that's out there. We're not obligated to give an answer to every Bible skeptic or God hater or adversary or, or satanic uh, unbeliever of this world. Okay? We are commanded to give an account to any who ask. And that is such a huge distinction. And our readiness to give the gospel, our feet are are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so we want to give the gospel. We want to answer the questions of those that are legitimately asking. But the adversaries, the, the enemies, those that are not asking, those that are attacking, we have no biblical sanction. I can't find it. No biblical sanction where I have to give the gospel to this person that's attacking me in, uh, in this context. If you find one let me know because I uh, have to submit myself to the Scriptures. Alright. So that's uh, words of the wise number 9. Moving on to words of the wise number 10 and I think I fixed this slide, we'll see. <laughs> um, words of the wise number 10 is a blend of two earlier words of the wise that we dealt with. So when we're looking at verses 10 and 11, I think you'll see that, that the words will seem largely familiar to you. Do not move the ancient boundary. Remember we talked about that. Do not move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. That God Himself, is Jesus Christ Himself, is the defense attorney. He's the advocate. He's the defender. He's the kinsman redeemer. Always has been, always will be. That He has been the avenger since before uh, humanity ever existed, uh, as we understand uh, these things. And so we have a blending of words of the wise, number four, and words of the wise, number one. And uh, those are two of the developments that we did back in chapter 22. You might recall in 2228, do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. And so we handled that. That was words of the wise number four. And remember this is bigger than just simply a property dispute. This is bigger than just theft, right? That you could, you could move the boundary and you can steal land and you can uh, claim ownership with you know, whatever squatter's rights you're claiming. Um, But beyond the the physical, tangible land issue involved is of course the spiritual issue for Israel as the covenant nation before the Lord. That the, the, the allotments are from God Himself and they are assigned to the tribes and those tribes are broken down into clans and families. And the the perpetuation of that grant from generation to generation is is huge in uh, in Israel's stewardship in the Old Testament stewardship that they function under, and uh, so there are larger issues at work when you're moving the ancient boundary beyond um, just the issue of stealing. Okay, and then uh, words of the wise number one that comes from chapter twenty two twenty two. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, crush the afflicted at the gate. for the Lord will plead their case. This shows the the role that, that Jesus Christ himself takes, that, that God the Son, the second member of Trinity, that, uh, that God takes the role of a defender, that He stands uh, in the gap and He defends them. He takes their side in the dispute. The Lord will plead their case. Typically when there's, there's a judicial setting in the Scripture, Satan is the accuser, the prosecutor, and Jesus Christ himself is the defender. The Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. So here's the poor, the afflicted, the needy in... Uh, our passage this morning, it's the, the fatherless, the, the orphan. And very frequently they're put in tandem. You have widows and orphans, is the most common expression. And sometimes you have widows without orphans, and sometimes you have orphans without widows. Uh, but the poor and the afflicted, we're talking about the, the downtrodden. We're talking about uh, folks that don't have what is normally provided for them for their protection, for their provision, for their blessing. And this is all built into the laws of divine establishment that we 're learning about in Genesis this is about marriage this is about family this is about nationalism and so when those uh, where there 's a breakdown in that if you don 't have a husband you don 't have a father uh, and you have corrupt government well then you 're going to have a victimized group of people the widows the orphans the uh, the poor uh, everything breaks down at that point so it's uh, it is what it is and the Bible describes it and i 'm glad that we can be biblical about this that we can uh, that we 're not Tossed to and fro, and we're certainly not uh, swept away into the spirit of this age. Because the spirit of this age, um, they can point to the problems, but they're blaming the wrong enemy. They're blaming the wrong source of those problems. And so you get these satanic crusaders, and they're all about the downtrodden, they're all about the down and out, they're all about helping the helpless, or so they say. Um, but what they're raging against is God. They're raging against, like they rage against the patriarchy, or they rage against capitalism, or they rage against all these things. They're raging against the laws of divine establishment that God established in Genesis for for humanity. And so I'm thankful that we're getting this in uh, Proverbs. We're getting this in Genesis. We're going to get a huge dose of it in the through the Bible gear coming up. So uh, so stay tuned. All right. So you want to go into the fields of the fatherless. If you want to uh, plunder and take advantage of someone that can't stop you, well, they've got a defender, and God sees, right? He sees. Their redeemer is strong, and he will plead their case against you. Now, the word here for redeemer is is the participle from the verb ga'al, and we sometimes we just call him the goel. He is the redeemer. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the uh, sometimes it's the redeemer, the defender, the um, uh, the avenger even, the blood avenger, same term. But this is the only use in Proverbs. And so it's a term that you're familiar with. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it today. But when you uh, you want to do a word study here on Redeemer, look at the lemma, pull up your word study, get your color wheel out. Of course, the top section here is the, these are your lexicons that you can look at. Here's your translations, okay? It's used 102 times. It's used 102 times. So you have it all throughout the Old Testament except not really in Proverbs. Just one lonely use in Proverbs is the the use that we have here this morning. Typically the the largest use is Redeemer, right? 73 out of the 102 times it shows up it's translated Redeemer. But 13 times it's translated as Avenger. And this is why a city of refuge is provided. This is why uh, somebody that that is guilty of of manslaughter, uh, has to flee to this place where he can be protected, he can have a place of refuge so he can receive a fair trial. And uh, that's the the procedures in place there in Numbers 35. Uh, But the blood avenger is the kinsman, the family member that's coming to to, um, execute the justice that needs to be executed. Then of course relatives, close relatives, kinsmen, Uh, The book of Ruth is all about this. You know, Boaz was not the closest uh, uh, family member. He was not the Goel. He was not. There was somebody closer than him. We don't know his name, but Boaz was the second closest. And so once the the closest was unwilling to do it, only then did Boaz become the eligible um, redeemer that he is. Anyway, there's a ton of theology with this. And I recommend if you want to do those studies, Grace Notes has good material on it. And uh, specifically in the book of Ruth, you get material there on the kinsman redeemer. All right, so moving on then. After the first ten words of the wise are given, a pause in the list prepares for words of the wise number 11 through 30. A pause in the list prepares for words of the wise 11 through 30 and reinforces the need for diligence. So, this then gets us to verse 12. Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to the words of knowledge. All right, now some folks, by the way, some folks number these differently and they find different ways to outline this. Um, some folks, I think this is best, and that's why I concluded this and I put the point up on the, in the outline, that this is not one of the 30 that this is simply an intermission. This is a a pause and a, and a reminder that you've got to be diligent, okay? And uh, so what we're looking at here in verse 12 is just a pause. We'll move on to words of the wise number 11 when we get to uh, verses 13 and 14. But verse 12 is a pause. Let me pull it up here. 23, 12. Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to the words of knowledge. It's just an interlude. It's like uh, you know, if you're writing music and you're in between a, a couple of verses, you decide you're just going to, you know, do a little guitar interlude and whatever, just to break the break, you know, wake people up, <laughs> get them ready for the next verse, and uh, and that's what happens here. Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. And so we have the lavav or the lave, and we have the ears. And we've done studies already as far as inclining your ears. This is uh, maybe, maybe a synonym or maybe just a related idea. Beyond inclining is the application. You are putting effort into this. So make application. All right. I think the nature of this as a heading is pretty clear when you notice uh, again the words of knowledge Uh, we have a uh, something very similar to the introduction that introduced the 30 sayings where it said incline your ear and hear the words of the wise apply your mind to my knowledge that was the heading before we even had words of the wise number one that was the heading that that introduced this entire segment and so this is kind of an echo of that. This is an echo of that, serves to, uh, to reintroduce it, serves to to uh, remind us that we need diligence. Why do we need repeated mi- uh, reminders for diligence? <laughs> because we do. Because we're finite. Because we're human. And even if we weren't sinners, I think uh, even in sinless perfection, Adam and Eve would have required uh, admonitions to diligence, admonitions to keep on, admonitions to excel still more. You know, Jesus was sinless and perfect. He required periodic rest intervals, He needed seasons of prayer, He needed times of encouragement and that was without any sin. Without any sin, without any sin nature, without any uh, of those. He still had the normal human weaknesses of Adamic humanity in His mortal body. So uh, we have this reinforcing it. Even, it's a little bit of an echo of the book of Proverbs itself. In, uh, very early in chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. And so that was a, an admonition that came very early in the book. This is something that a father tells his, his child in uh, the parental wisdom portion of the book. Really it's an idiom that speaks to uh, carrying your heart. Applying your heart, carry your heart, bringing your heart uh, into the musar, into the discipline. And some people like the information. They want the facts, they want the knowledge, they want the information but they don't want to submit to the discipline. They don't want to submit to the to the accountability that comes as you're studying the Word of God. And so I do like the idiom here for carrying your heart. Carry your heart into the musar, into the discipline. And carry your ears into the words of knowledge. Causing, causing your heart and causing your ears to, to, to be implanted there. It's a uh, it's an idiomatic expression of the, of the verb bow. The Hebrew verb bow. B-O-W apostrophe. Um, close your throat like, like uh, when we're saying the word honest. Right? The word honest. It's a silent H. You don't say honest. It's not a, you're not breathing through the H in honest. But when you're saying the word honest, your throat is closed when you start the word honest. And that's what you do with the, the Hebrew aleph. So when you end the word bow, You've got to close your throat like you do when you're starting the word honest. So boat, that's the, uh, the verb. And normally it's a verb of going somewhere, coming or going. It's a verb of movement. And, uh, but if it's in the hip field, then it's causative. And so you're causing your heart to go where your heart doesn't want to go. You're, you're carrying it there, right? I mean, if you think about like a, like a baby or somebody that's immobile, if, if they're going to move, you've got to move them. Okay? And that's the case with the heart, with the ears. Move them. Move them. Put them there. Put your heart in musar, in discipline. And if your heart tries to walk away, put it right back. Okay? Keep your heart there. If you start, if you start to notice your heart is drifting, if you start to notice your ears are drifting, snatch them back. Drag them back and pluck them right there in the middle so that they stay where they need to be. All right. Now, I don't know, again, how far we want to do with some of these things. Um, Sometimes it's useful, sometimes it's not. Um, There are, and and to me, and and maybe the best benefit you're going to glean out of this is just to relax about um, Greek and Hebrew, relax about uh, in depth Bible study, to the sense, and here's what I mean it's not a code. Okay? He, they're languages. Hebrew and Greek are languages. They still are to this day. They were back then. Okay? It's not a code. We're not trying to unlock some code and we're not trying to uh present an esoteric understanding. That's what Gnosticism does. That's what cults get into. Okay? We're dealing with living, breathing languages and languages that change over the years. And just as the English language changes over the years, the Hebrew language went through changes over the years. The Greek language went through changes over the years. And so what we do as translators is we're going back not only to the original Hebrew and Greek, but we're going back to the original Hebrew and Greek in their context, in their eras as far as when they were written. Because the era for Proverbs is, is considerably different from Moses, from the uh, the captivity, from after the exile and so forth. There's a spectrum there that we need to understand. So likewise, there's um, when human beings start using words and words come together in different ways, you end up with expressions, you end up with idioms and other, other things. And it's just through usage. And a word like come, a word like go, okay, is just as ubiquitous in Hebrew as it is in Greek, as it is in English, as it is in, in so many things. And so it shouldn't surprise us, a verb like bow, that means to enter or to come, to bring, uh, if it's causative then to bring or to lead, to gather in, um, just like the Greek erkamai, you're going to have all of this, a full spectrum of variety, okay? So it could be a, a verb of movement if you're going somewhere. It could be, and, and here's all the uses there in the cow and in the hiphil. It could be a verb of traveling to change a location, to enter, to bring, and this is this is touching upon where we're getting it in uh, in proverbs, bringing your heart. But it gets to be more idiomatic with a, with a noun like heart or a noun like ears. To go away, to dwell. To happen. If something comes about. Now it came about. Okay? Well, it, it came. It didn't physically come, but here we are. Okay? So what happens? To carry. To arrive. To go out to battle. Okay? To approach. If a time is coming, days are coming, days are approaching, the day of the Lord draws near, things like that. Liquids can come or go as they flow. Anyway, see, here's the 14th usage. To be put somewhere. To be moved and set into a certain place or abstract location. and We've got uses there. To befall. If something happens to you, then a circumstance came. To cause to happen, if you're the one doing it. Uh, To be brought, if you're the one being brought somewhere. Um, To set down. This is used of... uh, In fact... Um, the sun and the moon as they rise, as they set okay? as they go, as they come or as they go would use this verb to attain, to change, to put used of sexual intercourse if somebody enters into somebody this is the verb that's used to enter or to participate entering into judgment, participating in judgment entering into rest to descend in a genealogical application, to apply, to cause to come. This is the 25th usage of the verb. To move, to lead, or to guide. This is what a a shepherd would do if he causes the sheep to to come or to go to, to lie down in green pastures or applications there. And then the 28th and final, to cause, to set. Again, to make the sun go down. Amos 8, 9. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will make the earth dark in broad daylight. It uses the the same verb, uses the verb bow. So that's 28 different senses that this verb can be used. It's, It's ubiquitous. It's just, it's extraordinary. And you understand why? <laughs> if you're a language geek you just eat this stuff up and you start saying wow 28 different flavors of this verb which one are we looking at here in in, uh, in Proverbs 23 and then you can move on to the noun you can move on to the adjective different aspects there alright enough on that so the application of diligence as we're looking at it. Carry your heart into discipline and your ears into words of knowledge. And I would just apply this universally. This was true for Israel in the Old Testament. This is true for the church age. This is true for all believers of all ages. That if you find that your your heart has started to depart from, uh, from discipline, from musar, if your heart is departing from that musar, then you better grab that heart and put it right back. Okay? Volitionally. I just identify it for what it is prayerfully. Go to the Father and say, Father, why is my heart drifting away? And prayerfully ask the Father that you might get that heart back where it belongs and put it there. Put it there. Put your ears there. And you find, man, my ears aren't as eager as they used to be. They're starting to get itchy. Itchy ears is not good. Put them back where they're supposed to be. Okay? Make that a prayer item. Alright. Words of the wise number 11. Words of the Wise, number 11. Moving on to verses 13 and 14. Child discipline. Corporal punishment of children is biblically and critically necessary. Corporal discipline, corporal punishment of children is biblically and critically necessary. Of course this is out of favor these days there's all kinds of secular child raising books and they tell you that corporal punishment is child abuse they tell you that it's wrong they tell you that it's it's uh it's you know inappropriate and it's harmful to the child's development just the polar opposite of what's true if you neglect the discipline is when you're doing soul damage to that child and that that spoiled child is going to grow up to be a spoiled adult and the bible is very clear on that okay and so, yeah, I don't have a lot of esteem for the, uh, the postmodern, uh, pop liberal uh, views related to uh, child raising. And it doesn't take a village, it takes parents, a father and a mother to raise those children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So verses 13 and 14, and this is not really new, we've had this several times already. Alright, so do not hold back discipline from the child. So in in the past when we've seen it, we've been urged, the readers have been urged that this is necessary, do it. If you love them, you do it. If you don't, you hate them. We've had the admonitions already. This is perhaps among the most uh, lengthy of the, uh, I mean, it's two verses, it's four uh, stitches, if you will, with an A and a B in, in each of these verses. Um, it's the most comprehensive and in some ways it's kind of hilarious, okay? Like relax, you're not going to break them, they're not going to (laughs) die okay? Um, You know, no matter how hard you spank them, the the rod on the backside, God designed the, uh, the, 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 the soft fatty tissue there is designed to receive the pain stimulus do not hold back discipline from the child, okay? Quit holding back harder. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Spank hard enough. They will feel it. You can't kill them. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Rescue his soul from Sheol. Sounds serious. (laughs) Okay. And it's not just an earthly matter. Sheol is involved. It's not just, and it is a matter of life and death. Okay. You're not going to kill him by disciplining him. But he might go to an early grave if you don't. Think about it. You let these kids run wild and they're roaming the streets and they're running with the gang and the hoodlum and whatever else is going on. And, uh, you know, how many young people are, are shot up and killed every year because this is the consequences of no parental discipline. So uh, corporal punishment of children is biblically and critically necessary. That's the first thing we're going to cover. Then we're going to see how personal sins have soul and spirit consequences. That's true in the Old Testament, that's true in the New Testament. And, and sins have bodily consequences but sins also have soul and spirit consequences up to and including the sin and the death and something worse than the sin and the death when you're delivered over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. So there's issues there. 1 Corinthians 5.5, we're going to talk about that. Then I'm also going to talk about what is different between um, Proverbs 23.14 and 1 Corinthians 5.5. Because some people read those verses as if they are synonymous. They are not synonymous. And once you separate them I think you have a a better uh, picture of both. In any event, you shall strike him with a rod, you shall rescue his soul from shale. This is not abuse, this is not victimization, this is parental discipline. This is necessary because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, you have to beat it out of them. <laughs> okay? In, uh, in a biblical way. okay? Not in carnality, not in anger, in righteous, parental, loving discipline. Now, again, just by way of review these are all chapters we've seen before. Proverbs 13, 24 he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. It is a love versus hate contrast. So if you if you decide that you want to be a non-biblical uh, parent, and you decide that you're going to uh, trust the uh, the uh, you know child raising human viewpoint that uh, you get at Barnes and Noble or your favorite bookstore somewhere, that's all just postmodern anti-Bible. Um, you know, garbage, psychobabble, whatnot. Um, can I be any more dismissive? <laughs> I'll try, okay? I don't think I can be too, I cannot overstate this. I cannot overstate this. The anti-biblical, secular, child-raising industry is poisoning these kids. They're absolutely destructive to these kids. They're causing them to question whether they're even boys or girls. They're administering drugs to these kids to, to hold off puberty. It's, it's, it's evil and I hate every bit of it. So, <laughs> any questions? All right, let me be clear. If you withhold your, the rod, you hate your son. It is a hatred application. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. How does God deal with us? As with sons, he disciplines us. Thank God that He disciplines us. And so we have to discipline our children. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son while there is hope (laughs) and do not desire his death. Okay? Again, some of these make us laugh. But understandably parents sometimes, you wonder, is there any hope? I'm doing this, it's not working. I'm doing this, is it working? Well, they're still alive, right? Is there still hope? As long as they're still alive, as long as God is still God, we continue to serve God as we discipline these blessings that God has provided for us, these blessings that God has assigned to us to raise them up, and uh, you know we're doing so with the anticipation that um, that that they will survive, they will reach adulthood, they will. Um, you know, leave father and mother and cleave to, to one another and, and then in the next generation, you know, then you can laugh at them as they struggle with <laughs> the things they're struggling with. Okay? You want, you, you're, they're just, you're watching it you know, getting paid forward. Alright. So discipline your son while there is hope. Do not desire his death. 2215. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. This is described as uh, constitutionally and a element of childhood, that this is the nature of childhood in humanity. Okay, Humanity was not designed... You know, I mean there's certain animals that can be birthed and can leave home in in, in short period of time and before you know it they had now have their full adult animal capacity. <laughs> you know, a kitten grows to be a cat and is procreating and doing what they're doing in, in far shorter time than, uh, than humans, right? As far as training up the next generation uh, of image bearers to glorify uh, Jesus Christ. That takes discipline. That takes time. That takes First of all, you got to give them the gospel and get them saved, and then you got to get them grounded in doctrine, and then you got to get them as disciples walking for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that requires the rod of discipline, because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That is, and and we did, we discuss this. You know, is this a consequence of the fall, or is this the nature of humanity? Is this a a, a feature or a bug, okay, of of how humanity was? was engineered. So if Adam and Eve had not sinned and if Cain and Abel had been birthed of sinless parents, if Cain and Abel had been birthed as sinless humanity, would they or would they not have had this foolishness bound up in their heart that would have needed to be uh, disciplined, that would have required the rod of discipline? Okay. Do you remember what we concluded? I said, you can conclude what you want to conclude. Here's my conclusion okay and i think i can i can substantiate it just related to the the uh the totality of scripture all right so that was 2215 we will have one final look at this later in chapter 29 and this one is not even solomon i don't think um it probably is yeah when we get to 30 and 31 we start to get to augur and lemuel but all right so 29 Fifteen. This is in the later collection that was added uh, during the days of Hezekiah, added to the canon of scripture. One hundred and fifty years after Solomon was uh, was departed. The rod and reproof. This is uh, twenty nine, fifteen, and seventeen. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And then verse seventeen. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. He will also delight your soul. Some of this is going to carry across when we get to words of the wise number 12. When we talk about the blessings we have to fellowship uh, as adults, fathers and and sons, mothers and daughters as adults, the blessings we have to fellowship in in the truth of the Word of God. Well, to get the child to that capacity is going to take work, so keep at it, and that's the uh, the principle there. 1 Samuel shows us what happens if this is not applied. Why it's so critically necessary? Don't assume just because you know you're a pastor that your kids are automatically saved; they're automatically super grace believers. Uh, you realize even if you're a high priest, you still have to have a ministry to your children. They still have to get saved. They still have to live in the Word of God and grow. Eli was the high priest. His kids were a mess. Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to Israel. These aren't youths. These aren't children. These aren't irresponsible teenagers. These are adult uh, men themselves and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? Realize that's a stupid question. Why? Because they can, because they're sinners, because they like it, whatever. Why is a dumb question. You shouldn't be asking questions. You should be making statements. Stop doing this. In fact, you should be applying the Levitical procedures and these fornicators ought to be stoned. Instead he asked why. "'No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating.'" And why is he hearing it from them? Why doesn't he know? What's his accountability? "'If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him?' But they would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord desired to put them to death. And you know the boy Samuel sees this. And this is I think part of his seminary training. I think from his youth Samuel got to realize here this is what happens when, when the next generation does not get saved and does not grow in the, in the things of the Lord. All right, so consequences. Back to uh, what we're dealing with in twenty three fourteen. Whoops. Proverbs twenty three fourteen. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Okay? We say, well, the spanking is designed to modify behavior. Yes. The spanking is designed to, uh, to motivate the volition, whereby the volition that decides they don't want any more of those spankings the, the volition then is uh, going to be responsive to the, to the pain stimulus. <laughs> and um, yes, you can adjust behavior, okay? And you can do this, by the way, with believing children and unbelieving children, children in fellowship, children out of fellowship. You can do this with dogs and you can train animals with, with um, unpleasant stimulus, okay? Rub the dog's nose in it. He re- doesn't like that, changes his, uh, his behavior. More than that. More than the physical, more than the bios life issues. The soul itself. The soul itself is in danger. What is this about? Okay, There is a soul, a nefesh application here because Sheol is inside and the nefesh is on the way. That's not good. So very frequently this uh verse gets related to 1 Corinthians 5, and it needs to be related, but it needs to be related properly. And I think it's they get linked together improperly. Um, and, and I'll show you why here in a minute. They're not synonymous. They're seen as parallel, but they're they're antithetical rather than synonymous as, as parallel, okay? And I'll explain that. So 1 Corinthians 5, this is the this is the man of incest, this is the terrible guy in Corinth, and they were they were celebrating him, okay? They had a fornicator in their midst that was such a fornicator that the unbelievers were going, eh, okay? W- there was a fornicator in their midst that, that even unbelievers know without bi- biblical standards that's just wrong, okay? And so uh, Paul tells them you've become arrogant, you've not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Why is he still in the church? You're tolerating the fornication. You are, you are celebrating this. Like somehow you're, 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 you're so tolerant and understanding. What is this? I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, I've already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. You know, this is what needs to happen. Spiritual leadership ought to have dealt with this a long time ago. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus. There is, when, when we are assembled, there, this is the solemn assembly. This is the body of Christ that has been gathered at this place, at this time. I have decided to look, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. There is a benefit to the spirit because of this judicial action, delivering over to discipline. Okay, And, and this is you know, this is not a parent administering a spanking to the to the, the the gluteus of of a child. This is a spiritual spanking. This is a discipline, and it's being administered by Satan in the permissive will of God. Remember, Satan has demanded permission to sift like wheat. The church age is the age of the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. And if God gives us over, and we are given over, how deep in our darkness do we must we be? See in some ways the sentence of death is preferable to being left in uh, in satan's hands to save the spirit in this day all right so there are soul and spirit consequences i want to spell this out a little bit more rescuing the soul from sheol so point a what does it mean to rescue the soul from sheol Rescuing the soul from Sheol means to preserve physical life and avoid the sin unto death. Rescuing the soul from Sheol means to preserve physical life and avoid the sin unto death. And in fact, we have it bunches of places. In, uh, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, in various places in the Old Testament, when, uh, when a believer is rescued from Sheol, kept from going in there in the first place, okay? that means their physical life is being preserved. Psalm 30 and verse 3 is a good illustration. It's a Davidic psalm. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. David had so many close Calls and scrapes and places where he should have died on the battlefield and other assassins that were sent after him and all kinds of episodes. You know, you look back and and maybe some of us, you look back to your life and you can see, man, I should have died that day or other things. And yet God in His grace keeps you here. He's got a purpose for you. And so it's idiomatic in a sense, but I mean, it's an expression that, uh, you know, you're still this side of the dirt right? (laughs) You're still breathing God's good air as far as that goes. That's, He has kept your soul from Sheol. And even if you are on the verge of sinking down He just snatches you right back and says, oh no, no you don't. Not today. Okay? That's how close you can get sometimes. But God preserves the physical life. Now in the case of child discipline, obviously, uh, this is what's involved. If you let the child go, you don't discipline him. He continues in, in rampant sin. And living that undisciplined life has its consequences, as we say. Uh, very illustrated in uh, every weekend in the nightly news. I mean, just read the, read the Monday morning report about how many shootings in Chicago last weekend. Okay? Every weekend, and you're going to have hundreds of shootings and a certain number of deaths. And, uh, and there you have it. So that's the issue here. A little bit different though. Saving the Spirit. Saving the Spirit in the day of the Lord Jesus means rescuing some portion of production for eternal reward of the judgment seat of Christ. Saving the Spirit in the day of the Lord Jesus this has a longer view. This is more than just whether he lives or dies today. In fact he might actually die today. When, uh, when, when he delivers this man of incest over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh it will likely result in him dying. Okay? We learn later that he doesn't die, that he actually repents, he responds to the discipline, he, he becomes, he re, he's restored. In 2 Corinthians the man of incest is, restore, is restored. But saving the Spirit in the day of the Lord Jesus means rescuing some portion of production for eternal reward of the judgment seat of Christ. I think I can illustrate this for you and it's going to make sense. Because there's something else that's going on here. 1 Corinthians 5 follows chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. There's a progression there. And when we taught it, we observed that. The the judgment seat of Christ is in view. In chapter 3 the judgment seat of Christ is in view. In chapter 4 the judgment seat of Christ is not in the forefront but it certainly is the backdrop for this man of incest. And being delivered over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay? That comes immediately after these judgment seat of Christ passages. And I think that's a that's um, by design. If you're not familiar with these, you should be. I mean, we've had that Judgment Seat of Christ book out there in the hallway for years now. Build on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. We're all producing in this Christian walk. Either producing good items or producing worthless items. But we're all producing... Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. Okay? This is the day. And we're looking forward to this day when uh, this man's spirit will be saved. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The the judgment seat of Christ, that Bema is a, Jesus hits everything we've got with this flamethrower and uh, Whatever is left is our purified reward. Whatever is consumed is gone forever. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I'm highlighting this because we have the issues of salvation being saved. We have the application of fire. We have the day that's in view here. It's not today. It's the day of the Bema. It's the, day, it's, it's the judgment day for the Bride of Christ. It's the judgment day for the, for the church. Okay? And this is what we're looking at. Now, when we get to uh, chapter 4, It continues. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. The one who examines me is the Lord. And so we live our lives with this in view. That, you know what, you're not my judge, I'm not even my own judge. I'm just living for Jesus Christ, He can judge me in time and in eternity. So stop going, stop passing judgment before the time, wait until the Lord comes. He's better than you at it anyway and He's got it scheduled and quit trying to rush things. "...who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. See, there's production you don't even know about. When you start to write somebody off, there's production you don't even know about. There's also judgment you don't know about because you think this guy over here is doing great, but his motivation is horrible. You don't even realize. He seems to be the hardest working man in the church, but it's all phony. It's all carnal. It's all fleshly. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. And when it gets exposed... Man, look at that go up in in smoke. So disclosing the motives of men's hearts, that's what makes the difference between gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Everything gets classified into one or two categories, those two categories based upon the motives of men's hearts, so that each man's praise will come to him from God. So we have the judgment seat of Christ context in chapter 3, the judgment seat of Christ context in chapter 4, and then that carries us into the judgment seat of Christ context in chapter 5. Again, delivering him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay? In, uh, in these applications. So how does, that, how does that work? How in the world does divine discipline produce this? How is it that being removed from the assembly and being given to Satan and being uh, placed under this kind of discipline, how does that possibly benefit at the, at the judgment seat? Well one of two different ways. Either you're cutting the losses now before more treasure can be thrown away, before more eternal reward can be lost, or you bring about the repentance so that he comes back to the light and he does bear fruit for the rest of his life. And and so when you win your brother through this kind of discipline you can again have a a positive outcome at the judgment seat. Now I'm going to take the rest of these a little bit out of order. Um, I want to start with Amos, because I think this is what's happening here. Amos 3:12. This is what happens in shepherding. This is what happens um, and, and Paul is shepherding when he casts this man out of Corinth. This is what happens when we discipline our children. We're shepherding them. So thus says the Lord, Just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, <laughs> you know I mean, ideally, you want to get the whole sheep. I mean, obviously, in, in an ideal world, you get there fast enough where you can kill the bear, and the sheep is unharmed. But sometimes the sheep is already in the bear's mouth. So what do you do? Do you just give up and say, "Oh well, he's a lost cause. The sheep's gone. Is he still alive? Can you get any part back? So just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs. Or a piece of an ear. I can't get all four legs, but I can get one or two of them. <laughs> or a piece of an ear. So will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with a corner of a bed and the cover of a couch? Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, and so it goes on. But you know, you realize, um, you know, the northern kingdom was swept away, the southern kingdom was swept away, and God was using that to preserve just a an ear, a leg. Little bits and pieces of sheep as as best, you know, this is what happens when we're getting eaten alive. Isaiah 31, 4. Thus says the Lord to me as the lion or young lion growls over his prey against which a band of shepherds is called out. Sometimes you need more than one shepherd. Get a whole band. You know, imagine what a troop of David's would have been like a band of shepherds is called out and he will not be terrified at their voice nor disturbed at their noise. Ooh, here's a brave adversary. He's not even afraid of the shepherd, even a band of shepherds. So will the Lord of hosts come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill. Eschatological prophecy of the day of the Lord. Of course 1 Samuel 17, the Goliath episode when uh, Samuel, or when Saul thinks that there's not a chance that David can't stand before Goliath. And David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. So I mean if if the lion or the bear already got the sheep in his mouth and departed and David's chasing him you know that sheep is not whole, that sheep is not but he went out and rescued him from his mouth. When he rose up against me I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Okay? And so this is what it's about. And this is what shepherding is about. And when we're disciplining our children it's like we're snatching them from the paw of the lion and the bear. Okay? And uh Saving the Spirit in the day of the Lord Jesus, I think, trying to salvage something so that the judgment seat of Christ, there is some gold, silver, and precious stones remaining. And you think how much more reward is thrown away, how much more treasure is going to be lost if God lets that person stay here longer. So sometimes the sin of death is a, is a mercy killing, it's an opportunity take them out now he you'll have something reserved in the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to throw it all away. Alright. So there's the application there. We're going to come back next week and talk about adult sons and uh, adult fathers and adult sons. Words of the wise number 12. Adult fathers and sons, also adult mothers and daughters, can have joy in mutually communicated divine wisdom. And this is going to get us through verses 15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will also be glad. And my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Okay? It's not about career success. It's not about uh, earthly achievements. It's about adult sons and daughters that are communicating truth and the thrill that provides to the older generations. So that's where we'll be next week. Father, I thank you for truth. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for these verses. Might we learn them, might we live them, might we um, appreciate, Father, the the privilege that it is for us in uh, this crooked and perverse generation. We have stability. We're not tossed to and fro. We have the absolute standard of your word. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.